This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Chapter 35 The Tokens. And slight withal may be the things that bring back on the heart the weight which it would fling aside forever. It may be a sound, a flower, the wind, the ocean which shall wound, striking the electric chain wherewith we're darkly bound. Child Harold's Pilgrimage, Can, Number Four. The sitting room of Legree's establishment was a large, long room with a wide, ample fireplace. It had once been hung with a showy and expensive paper, which now hung mouldering, torn and discolored, from the damp walls. The place had that particular sickening, unwholesome smell compounded of mingled damp, dirt, and decay, which one often notices in close old houses. The wallpaper was defaced in spots by slops of beer and wine, or garnished with chalk memorandums and long sums footed up, as if somebody had been practicing arithmetic there. In the fireplace stood a brazier full of burning charcoal, for, though the weather was not cold, the evenings always seemed damp and chilly in that great room, and Legree, moreover, wanted a place to light his cigars and heat his water for punch. The ruddy glare of the charcoal displayed the confused and unpromising aspect of the room—saddles, bridles, several sorts of harness, riding-whips, overcoats, and various articles of clothing scattered up and down the room in confused variety and the dogs, of whom we have before spoken, had encamped themselves among them to suit their own taste and convenience. Legree was just mixing himself a tumbler of punch, pouring his hot water from a cracked and broken-nosed pitcher, grumbling as he did so. "'Plague on that Sambo to kick up this yar row between me and the new hands. The fellow won't be fit to work for a week now, right in the press of the season.' "'Yes, just like you.' said a voice behind his chair. It was the woman, Cassie, who had stolen upon his soliloquy. "'Ha! You she-devil! You've come back, have you?' "'Yes, I have,' she said coolly. "'Come to have my own way, too.' "'You lie, you jade! I'll be up to my word. Either behave yourself, or stay down to the quarters, and fare and work with the rest.' "'I'd rather ten thousand times,' said the woman, "'live in the dirtiest hole at the quarters than be under your hoof.' "'But you are under my hoof for all that,' said he, turning upon her, with a savage grin. "'That's one comfort. So sit down here on my knee, my dear, and hear to reason,' said he, laying hold on her wrist. "'Simon Legree, take care,' said the woman, with a sharp flash of her eye, a glance so wild and insane in its light as to be almost appalling. "'You're afraid of me, Simon,' she said deliberately, "'and you've reason to be. But be careful, for I've got the devil in me.' The last words she whispered in a hissing tone close to his ear. "'Get out! I believe to my soul you have,' said Legree, pushing her from him, and looking uncomfortably at her. "'After all, Cassie,' he said, "'why can't you be friends with me, as you used to?' "'Used to!' said she bitterly. She stopped short. A word of choking feelings, rising in her heart, kept her silent. Cassie had always kept over Legree the kind of influence that a strong, impassioned woman can ever keep over the most brutal man but of late she had grown more and more irritable and restless under the hideous yoke of her servitude, and her irritability, at times, broke out into raving insanity, and this liability made her a sort of object of dread to Legree, who had that superstitious horror of insane persons which is common to coarse and uninstructed minds. 
When Legree brought Emmeline to the house, all the smoldering embers of womanly feeling flashed up in the worn heart of Cassie, and she took part with the girl, and a fierce quarrel ensued between her and Legree. Legree in a fury swore she should be put to field service if she would not be peaceable. Cassie, with proud scorn, declared she would go to the field, and she worked there one day, as we have described, to show how perfectly she scorned the threat. Legree was secretly uneasy all day, for Cassie had an influence over him from which he could not free himself. When she presented her basket at the scales he had hoped for some concession, and addressed her in a sort of half-conciliatory, half-scornful tone, and she had answered with a bitterest contempt. The outrageous treatment of poor Tom had roused her still more, and she had followed Legree to the house, with no particular intention, but to upbraid him for his brutality. "'I wish, Cassie,' said Legree, "'you'd behave yourself decently.' "'You talk about behaving decently! And what have you been doing? You, who haven't even sense enough to keep from spoiling one of your best hands, right in the most pressing season, just for your devilish temper!' "'I was a fool, it's a fact, to let any such brangle come up,' said Legree. "'But when the boy set up his will, he had to be broken.' "'I reckon you won't break him in.' "'Won't I?' said Legree, rising passionately. "'I'd like to know if I won't. He'll be the first nigger that ever came it round me. I'll break every bone in his body, but he shall give up.' Just then the door opened, and Sambo entered. He came forward, bowing, and holding out something in a paper. "'What's that, you dog?' said Legree. "'It's a witch thing, massa.' "'A what?' "'Something that niggers gets from witches keeps em from feeling when they's flogged. He had it tied round his neck with a black string." Legree, like most godless and cruel men, was superstitious. He took the paper and opened it uneasily. There dropped out of it a silver dollar and a long, shining curl of fair hair—hair which, like a living thing, twined itself round Legree's fingers. "'Damnation!' he screamed in sudden passion, stamping on the floor, and pulling furiously at the hair as if it burned him. "'Where did this come from? Take it off! Burn it up! Burn it up!' he screamed, tearing it off and throwing it into the charcoal. "'What'd you bring it to me for?' Sambo stood with his heavy mouth wide open and aghast with wonder, and Cassie, who was preparing to leave the apartment, stopped and looked at him in perfect amazement. "'Don't you bring me any more of your devilish things!' said he, shaking his fist at Sambo, who retreated hastily towards the door, and, picking up the silver dollar, he sent it smashing through the window-pane, out into the darkness. Sambo was glad to make his escape. When he was gone, Legree seemed a little ashamed of his fit of alarm. He sat doggedly down in his chair, and began sullenly slipping his tumbler of punch. Cassie prepared herself for going out, unobserved by him, and slipped away to minister to poor Tom, as we have already related. And what was the matter with Legree? And what was there in a simple curl of fair hair to appall that brutal man, familiar with every form of cruelty? To answer this we must carry the reader backward in his history. Hard and reprobate, as the godless man seemed now, there had been a time when he had been rocked on the bosom of a mother, cradled with prayers and pious hymns, his now seared brow bedewed with the waters of holy baptism. In early childhood a fair-haired woman had led him, at the sound of Sabbath-bell, to worship and to pray. Far in New England that mother had trained her only son with long, unwearied love and patient prayers. Born of a hard-tempered sire, on whom that gentle woman had wasted a world of unvalued love, Legree had followed in the steps of his father. Boisterous, unruly, and tyrannical, 
He despised all her counsel, and would none of her reproof, and at an early age broke from her to seek his fortunes at sea. He never came home but once after, and then his mother, with the yearning of a heart that must love something, and has nothing else to love, clung to him, and sought, with passionate prayers and entreaties, to win him from a life of sin to his soul's eternal good. That was Legree's day of grace. Then good angels called him. Then he was almost persuaded, and mercy held him by the hand. His heart inly relented. There was a conflict. But sin got the victory, and he set all the force of his rough nature against the conviction of his conscience. He drank and swore, was wilder and more brutal than ever. And one night, when his mother, in the last agony of her despair, knelt at his feet, he spurned her from him, threw her senseless on the floor, and with brutal curses fled to his ship. The next Legree heard of his mother was when, one night, as he was carousing among drunken companions, a letter was put into his hand. He opened it, and a lock of long, curling hair fell from it, and twined about his fingers. The letter told him his mother was dead, and that dying she blessed and forgave him. There is a dread, unhallowed necromancy of evil that turns things sweetest and holiest to phantoms of horror and affright. That pale loving mother, her dying prayers, her forgiving love, wrought in that demoniac heart of sin only as a damning sentence, bringing with it a fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. Legree burned the hair, and burned the letter, and when he saw them hissing and crackling in the flame, inly shuddered as he thought of everlasting fires. He tried to drink, and revel, and swear away the memory, but often in the deep night, whose solemn stillness arraigns the bad soul in forced communion with herself, he had seen that pale mother rising by his bedside, and felt the soft twining of that hair around his fingers, till the cold sweat would roll down his face, and he would spring from his bed in horror. Ye who have wondered to hear, in the same evangel, that God is love, and that God is a consuming fire, see ye not how, to the soul resolved in evil, perfect love is the most fearful torture, the seal and sentence of the direst despair? Blast it! said Legree to himself, as he sipped his liquor. Where did he get that? If it didn't look just like— Whoa! I thought I'd forgot that. Curse me! If I think there's any such thing as forgetting anything, anyhow, hang it! I'm lonesome. I mean to call M. She hates me, the monkey. I don't care. I'll make her come." Legree stepped out into the large entry which went upstairs by what had formerly been a superb winding staircase. But the passageway was dirty and dreary, encumbered with boxes and unsightly litter. The stairs, uncarpeted, seemed winding up in the gloom to nobody knew where. The pale moonlight streamed through a shattered fanlight over the door. The air was unwholesome and chilly, like that of a vault. Legree stopped at the foot of the stairs and heard a voice singing. It seemed strange and ghost-like in that dreary old house, perhaps because of the already tremulous state of his nerves. Hark! What is it? A wild, pathetic voice chants a hymn common among the slaves. Oh, there'll be morning, 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 oh, there'll be morning at the judgment seat of Christ. Blast the girl, said Legree. I'll choke her. Am! Am! he called harshly. But only a mocking echo from the walls answered him. The sweet voice still sung on. Parents and children there shall part, parents and children there shall part, shall part to meet no more. 
and clear and loud swelled through the empty halls the refrain, Oh, there'll be morning, 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 oh, there'll be morning at the judgment seat of Christ. Legree stopped. He would have been ashamed to tell of it, but large drops of sweat stood on his forehead. His heart beat heavy and thick with fear. He even thought he saw something white rising and glimmering in the gloom before him, and shuddered to think what if the form of his dead mother should suddenly appear to him. I know one thing, he said to himself, as he stumbled back in the sitting-room and sat down. I'll let that fellow alone after this. What did I want of his cussed paper? I believe I am bewitched, sure enough. I've been shivering and sweating ever since. Where did he get that hair? It couldn't have been that. I burnt that up. I know I did. It would be a joke if hair could rise from the dead. Ah, Legree, that golden tress was charmed. Each hair had in it a spell of terror and remorse for thee, and was used by a mightier power to bind thy cruel hands from inflicting uttermost evil on the helpless. "'I say,' said Legree, stamping and whistling to the dogs, "'wake up, some of you, and keep me company.' But the dogs only opened one eye at him, sleepily, and closed it again. "'I'll have Sambo and Quimby up here, to sing and dance one of their hell-dances, and keep off these horrid notions,' said Legree. When putting on his hat he went on to the veranda, and blew a horn, with which he commonly summoned his two sable drivers. Legree was often wont, when in a gracious humor, to get these two worthies into his sitting-room, and, after warming them up with whiskey, amuse himself by setting them to singing, dancing, or fighting, as the humor took him. It was between one and two o'clock at night, as Cassie was returning from her ministrations to poor Tom, that she heard the sound of wild shrieking, whooping, hallooing and singing from the sitting-room, mingled with the barking of dogs, and other symptoms of general uproar. She came up on the veranda steps and looked in. Legree and both the drivers, in a state of furious intoxication, were singing, whooping, upsetting chairs, and making all manner of ludicrous and horrid grimaces at each other. She rested her small, slender hand on the window-blind, and looked fixedly at them. There was a world of anguish, scorn, and fierce bitterness in her black eyes as she did so. "'Would it be a sin to rid the world of such a wretch?' she said to herself. She turned hurriedly away, and, passing round to a back door, glided upstairs and tapped at Emmeline's door. End of chapter 35